Welcome to the original vegan business talk with myself, Shane Jeremy James, where I discuss life-changing business advice with vegan companies who are making a true difference in the world. Hey everybody, welcome back to the next episode. Our guest today is Neil Zacharias. Welcome. Thank you, Shane. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. You're welcome. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, author, and podcaster with a passion for food system change. He is the founder and CEO of Plantega, a social impact startup that's on a mission to make plant-based food easier to access anywhere. He also hosts the Eat for the Planet podcast and co-authored the Eat for the Planet books. Neil is a sought-after speaker who has spent over a decade focused on the intersection of food and sustainability. He previously co-founded a number of startups and continues to advise on several organizations in the plant food space. Well, welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to chat with you. This is, uh, is going to be fun. Yes, awesome. So tell us a little bit uh, more about you. How did you get to where you are today? Well, I'll try to keep it brief, but uh, if you're speaking about my career and my professional life, I would say it really started about 20 years ago. I was, um, I started my professional career as an attorney. Uh, I used to be in a band in college and wanted to be an entertainment lawyer. I decided uh, I could find a way to merge my interest in music with uh, uh, the idea of having a real career. And so I thought law would be a great way to do it. Um, I only practiced law for two years. I decided that wasn't for me. Uh, It was fun. I learned a lot. Um, but I felt like I was more intrigued and excited about the work that many of our clients were doing than the work I was doing. It felt like they were building things, they were creating things, and I was sitting up late at night drafting contracts for them. So, um, you know, no, no offense to lawyers, but uh, I do think that um, me personally, I felt like I had a lot more to do uh, or cont- contribute in the world uh, besides um, assisting people with their legal issues. Uh, I spent about a decade in the tech and media industry after that. I've worked in various operational business roles. But for the last uh, 12 years of my career, about the last decade, I would say I've been focused largely on uh, the food system and food systems issues. Uh, I initially got intrigued by it after learning about the impact of industrial farming on the environment. Uh, And that sort of began my journey. I, I, I used to work for a big tech company. I quit that job and I ended up I think for the last 10 years, I've been uh, mostly focused on entrepreneurial endeavors. I've uh, launched a few companies, um, written a couple of books, um, and have sort of dedicated my professional life uh, over the last 10 years to uh, finding ways to transform our food system. I think it's one of the most, it's not the most important, but one of the most important issues plaguing the planet. It's connected to climate change. It's connected to the use of our natural resources. It impacts access and distribution of food and impacts uh, food security and the future of our generations on this planet. So I find it to be a very complex systems problem, which has multiple solutions. And I've pretty much, um, yeah, dedicated my life, my career now to finding ways to create solutions um, that can help minimize the damage of um, our farming and our food system and put us towards a better path where hopefully in the next few decades, we can course correct some of the mistakes we've made over the last few centuries. Amazing. So tell us what are a few of the solutions around the food and the farming? Because this is a big debate on a lot of people, even that I know. People will come to me and they'll be like, well, if you if you stop killing the animals, then there's going to end up being way too many animals and and it's not going to be good for the planet. And, and, you know, I could go a whole, you know, an hour to yeah. talk about all that. And you know that right now. So give us some input on all that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's important to set up some context to all of this, right? Um, I, I, it depends on who you ask. The, the earth is about 4.5 billion years old and human beings have been on this planet for about 200,000 years. Okay. And for the most of our time on this planet, things were fairly uh, balanced. Like we were living somewhat in harmony with our natural environment. Was it perfect? No, by no means it was. I mean, we we, we had much more violence and much more uh, disease and hunger across the world compared to perhaps what we have now, although that's subjective. Um, But things are sort of in control. And then something drastically changed over the last 200 years. 
Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. There's, you know, you can, I can oversimplify it and pinpoint a few reasons. Uh, I, I would think that that'd be, that would that wouldn't be fair, but I can at least give you a sense of what I think has contributed to the problem. Firstly, in the same 200 years uh, where we've seen this change in our balance with our natural environment, we experienced the industrial revolution. So there's been you know, the rise in technology, uh, which was inevitable. We, we, human beings are in a continuous process of improving and evolving uh, our tools. And eventually we were gonna design more sophisticated technology. I don't think anything could have prevented that from happening. Uh, coupled with that, we also saw a spike in population. We we were about 1 billion people uh, for the first 200,000 years on this planet, and then we spiked to about 7 billion people in the next 200 years. So that's a lot of people. Um, and then, of course, we've had, you know, you've got to bring in some historical context around, you know, wars and labor sh shortages. We had the two world wars. Um, and we also had the development of an economic system, which is capitalism, which works, but is not perfect also. And a lot of the damage we've done to the natural environment is tied into the, the, the focus on pretty much unchecked capitalism. And that's reflected in every aspect of society. You can see it in every industry around the world. And the reason I bring all of this up is because the food industry is no exception, right? We went from using you know, fire and access to chop down trees to make room for farmland um, to using industrial machines to, that can basically bulldoze an entire forest in a few minutes. We've gone from like fishermen with like fishing nets to uh, basically military sonar technology that can pinpoint where fish are in the ocean. So we've just gotten a lot more sophisticated, which has increased the rate at which we um, extract natural resources um, in the food particularly around food. And what we've ended up doing to ourselves is we've reached a point where we are extracting natural resources much faster than they can replenish themselves. And that's really at a high level, the problem with what's happened with our food system. And because people like eating meat, dairy, eggs, and cheese, right. uh, and our cultures have evolved to eat that, we used to eat that you know, centuries ago and we, we still crave that, our food system, rose to meet that demand and was designed to provide, you know, it really was designed to create the most amount of food at the lowest possible cost. And so what we've ended up with is this industrial farming system. So it isn't that, you know, uh, what we did from the beginning of time was always wrong. It's that we've gotten way more sophisticated in how we farm animals and we basically you know, 99% of our meat, dairy, and eggs comes from factory farms, which are industrial farms uh, that are, you know, draining our natural resources, the biggest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions using more than half the land on planet Earth and majority of our freshwater. And it is contributing to the climate crisis, impacting communities around the world, including in North America. Uh, and of course, not to mention uh, you know, leaving billions of animals to live short lives in misery in these factory farms. So there's nothing good about the system, but I don't blame anyone for it. I, I, I think it's, it's a natural evolution of what happened across the world over the last 200 years, which has brought us to where we are today. Now, the solutions to it, there are many. <laughs> I'll, 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 let you, I'll let you respond to that. Before yeah, that I get that's to. about that. If you gave us all the solutions, that's about a nine-hour podcast <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. so, so go ahead. What are a few? Oh, I, you know, I said basically you've got to. You know, firstly, we've got to acknowledge what the problem is, and if we acknowledge and we all agree, you know, I think most people agree that industrial farming is bad where you are farming animals in terrible conditions, pumping them with hormones and antibiotics, you're spraying pesticides on the crops that we grow and we're feeding most of them to animals when people go hungry. So there's nothing just about it. It, it is kind of absurd that we've ended up in this place. The only few people might, that might disagree with what we're talking about are the, the companies that actually profit from doing it because of course they, they have self-interest in it. But even within those companies now, you're starting to see a shift start to happen where they see, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this is unsustainable. Not because, frankly, that they care about the environment. It's partly because we're going to run out of land eventually. We're going to be about 10 billion people on the planet. 
And to feed that 10 billion people, the current rates of what meat consumption are, we're going to need about 50% more land. We're going to need to grow more food in the next 30 years than we have in the last 10,000 years or something. So it seems like we need to find more ways to give people what they love, which is meat, apparently. It, it, that, that's what people have, have, really want to consume. We've got to find better ways to do it. And even the big food companies, even the meat processors recognize that challenge right now. So, you know, for me, the it became abundantly clear as like industrial animal farming is unsustainable. We need a solution to it. Uh, the simple answer is if you eat plants and don't eat animals, you automatically do something that's vastly better for the planet, right? You use less land resources because you're not growing food now to feed farm animals. You're not wasting water uh, to, to basically uh, hydrate farm animals and to clean up their mess. Instead, that water can be used by human beings. You're, you're, not, you're basically utilizing resources much more efficiently um, for direct human consumption. But the challenge is now, well, people just don't, if everyone wanted to eat just plants, uh, and that was as it was simple to explain that to everyone, and everyone decided let's all go vegetarian or vegan. Um, we would have probably, I wouldn't say we have solved the problem, we would have done something much more positive. Uh, the reality is not everyone's going to do that. People still love their meat. So we've got to find alternatives. And I've really grown to, to, to recognize that the plant-based food industry, the development of um, meat alternatives, um, uh, egg and cheese alternatives and milk alternatives are a big part of the solution. And I think it's very important to stress that it's not the solution, it's a part of the solution. And by no means does someone have to give up the foods that they love. Perhaps they can diversify what they're eating. And of course, the best thing you can do for your health is eat more whole plant foods. So, you know, ideally, if we can create a food system that is plant forward, that encourages more people to eat, whether it is meat substitutes or real plants, we have a fighting chance to tackle the problems with our food system and hopefully uh, put us down a path where we don't end up uh, completely draining our natural resources like our rainforests and, and destroying our oceans merely because we want cheap, fast meat. So I think, you know, we just need to talk about this problem at a conceptual level, but it can get very emotional because food is culture, food right. is emotions, people love yeah. food. And so I might like to intellectualize the whole thing, but at the end of the day, people sit down to eat. They don't want to think. They just want to enjoy. Yeah. And so how do you get to people that way is, is what makes this problem really fascinating for me. Is like, how do you change culture and mindsets and, and taste buds? And, and how do you help people recognize that they can eat the right food without having to really think too much about it? Right. Um, and so we need to create a system that makes it easier for people to make better food choices. Right. I so agree with everything you said. You know, I remember when uh, obviously, you know, I've been vegan for, you know, 20 years type stuff now, a long time. And, you know, back then, I mean, there wasn't very many choices on anything. <laughs> you know, I think there was a garden burger from Costco, right? Or something. <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember when I went to LA and when, when Beyond the Meat kind of started, right, kind of got their big kind of push. And I remember we were sitting in one of the I don't know what kind of, it was a, it was a barbecue type place in LA and they had the beyond the meat burger on it. Right. And so I ordered it and it was, you know, how it was like cooked and stuff. And, and to be honest, my friend had it too. And he like, he eats meat all the time. And he was like, Holy, like this tastes like so good. Like so good. <laughs> he was like, you know, he was just uh, like dumbfounded. That was the yeah. first time where I actually, and the reason I tell the story, it was the first time where I actually like kind of had that same taste, which was interesting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah, like way exactly. back, right? So that was a very interesting experience. You know, now there's so much, like that's, there's just so much going on now in those industries and areas. Tell us a little bit about now, like exactly what you're doing. Like what is your company actually doing? Yeah, so the company I now run, I've done a few things in the past, but my my project that I'm like giving 100% to or beyond 100% on some days uh, is called Plantega. And it really came about in the middle of the pandemic. So again, it's important to provide some context around what led to its creation. Uh, we were 
basically middle of 2020, uh, New York City was really hit hard by the pandemic. And I've spent most of my adult life in New York. I grew up in Mumbai, India, but I've pretty much been in, in, in New York for the past 20 years uh, with a few years here and there outside. Uh, and I started seeing what was happening in New York City with uh, restaurants shutting down. Uh, basically, the whole food service industry was was pummeled because of the pandemic. Uh, we had to shut down, you know, restaurants, we had to shut down stores, and a few businesses were deemed essential businesses. Um, so that was the first thing that we observed is that, you know, New York City has this interesting, uh, you can call it a cultural phenomena or, a, or a, a, something that's sort of very unique to a city like New York. It's a very dense urban environment. Anyone who's been here has probably noticed that. But it also has something which very few cities have, which is like a corner store literally on every block. Like, and, and in New York City, we call them bodegas. So they are basically small convenience stores um, that stock everything from you know, snacks and, and um, drinks and beverages uh, and um, toilet paper and essential cleaning items, like whatever someone might need in the middle of the night, but they don't want to... Uh, you know, go all the way to a grocery store to buy. Uh, New York City has it. And there's a few reasons for it is because most people in New York City don't own a car. Uh, they rely on the subway system. So they don't like to carry too much stuff with them when they're shopping. Gro uh, corner stores fulfill that. They, they're quick, quick pit stop. It's kind of like gas stations in other parts of the country. But in New York, like the, the bodega is the pit stop. You go in there, grab a quick snack, um, grab an essential item if you're missing it late at night, you can call your bodega or run there and get it. What these bodegas also have, um, about 8,000 of them, there's about 14,000 bodegas in the city, according to some estimates. About 8,000 of them have a grill and a deli counter. So while everything was shutting down in New York City in the middle of the pandemic, bodegas were deemed essential businesses. And about 8,000 of them had uh, deli counters and a grill. So they had functioning kitchens that were still in operation. And those deli counters are, again, very iconic to New York City. They, people, uh, everyone from every, I, I compare bodegas to the subway system in New York City. It's the great equalizer. It's essential to survive in New York City. And it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. Everyone frequents the bodega and everyone relies on the subway system. Like you can't avoid it. You could be a hedge fund manager or a homeless person. You're going to use both those things. So we, looking at what was happening in New York, thinking about bodegas, plus I had been focused on the plant-based food industry and had started to really question who is it that the plant-based food industry was feeding? Like we were launch the, co the companies that you spoke about, Beyond Meat and others, were launching a lot of products that were being largely sold in big box grocery stores and some fast food restaurants were testing them out. But for the most part, you know, when you looked at places like bodegas across New York City, um, and an important point about bodegas, in some neighborhoods in New York City, bodegas are literally the only place you can find food. So, you know, there are, New York City is a very complicated space. Like you have some of the richest neighborhoods and then you have basically neighborhoods that have been deemed as food deserts or, or food swamps. Basically, the only food you can find is uh, processed, cheap food that's available in a bodega. And the nearest supermarket is miles and miles away. And so most people don't even go there. So... Looking at the landscape of New York, you, you see where I'm going with this. We, we fig, I was thinking, can we find a way to get plant-based foods, which are undoubtedly going to be the foods of the future, and find a way to get them into corner stores across New York City and introduce them to a whole new um, subsection or diverse consumer base that previously have never tasted plant-based foods. And the whole idea was, how can we make plant-based foods more accessible everywhere? Uh, and the way we did it, we partnered with a, with a few plant-based food companies and we created a business model that provides corner stores in New York City with a completely turnkey solution. We go to them and say, you know, we will sell you plant-based foods. We will we'll sell you the products. We will provide you the training. We'll install an entirely plant-based menu in your grill that will sit alongside your regular menu that will be made of 100% plant-based ingredients. So our menu, the plant Vega menu, sits alongside the regular deli counter menu. It includes many of the same items that you would buy off the deli counter in a typical bodega, whether it's a chopped cheese sandwich or a deli slice sandwich or a sausage egg and cheese sandwich, except ours is made of high quality plant-based ingredients that are sourced from some of the best brands in the business. 
And you know, we do. We told them we'll set up the signage, we'll do marketing for you, we will handle distribution. The corner store owner will not have to leave the store. We will basically come in there and empower them to make money selling foods that are better for the planet and better for people. Um, and that was initially just launched as a bit of a test back in late 2020. Um, and eventually that grew into a company that we spun We were being incubated as part of another entity and eventually spun out. And now we're in 18 stores across the city. Uh, and then our goal is to be in at least 40 across the city. And it's been a fascinating, what started off as a bit of an experiment to right. see like what would happen if you put plant-based food in an environment where people are not used to finding plant-based food? Would people who are not vegan or vegetarian, just everyday New Yorkers who are walking in there, would they choose the plant-based option? And what we've learned and what we've tried to fine tune over the last one year since we've been around is how do you make it more attractive and exciting and delicious and convenient and affordable for someone to make the better choice uh, without them having to be think too much about it and without us having to preach to them about why they should eat plant-based. So it's kind of like a, it's an interesting, uh, you know, way to nudge people to make the better choice, at least sometimes, if not all the time. And again, it's all about improving access to better food so that we can, you know, back to what we were talking about earlier, find a way to improve and transform the food system and maybe change people's mindsets and taste buds and perceptions of what plant-based can be. It doesn't have to be bland tofu in a, in a plastic container. It can be a delicious sandwich that pretty much tastes like meat. Uh, and is pretty much as affordable as meat. So uh, that's really our mission. And I'm very excited about it. That's amazing. Uh, I love it. Uh, congratulations, by the way, on the 18 stores and, and growing. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So do you find that are people attracting to the plant-based menu? Are, are some coming over that would normally, I just look at it like you're looking yeah. at the, the normal menu. You're looking, hey, where's this <laughs> menu come from? So are they actually starting to convert over and give it a try, do you think? You have the data. Oh, 100%. Our data shows that we wouldn't be in existence if that wasn't happening. So, you know, we, in some oh, it's, stores... So it's, not, so it's not just the vegan community, right? So it's... Uh, no. You said we wouldn't be in existence if that wasn't happening. So it's that's cool. Yeah. So and we're in, like, Manhattan, in Queens, in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, multiple locations across the city, in some neighborhoods that, you know, frankly, the store owners initially were just not they weren't sure it was going to work because they looked at it and they said, well, that's a few dollars more than the regular cheeseburger. Who the hell is going to pay extra money to eat something plant-based? And then a week later, they were calling us asking to reorder more products because wow. people were buying it. Uh, and I think that's an interesting point to, to talk about. I think plant-based foods have gotten a lot more attention and visibility um, I think they are almost sort of a trend now, but I think they need to go beyond being a trend. It needs to really be be kind of embedded into our culture where people think it's totally normal to choose a plant-based option. Um, right. And they also are not scared of doing it. They don't feel like they're making a sacrifice by choosing plant-based. They're actually going to get something, if not as delicious, probably more delicious. What we're seeing is that in most stores across the city, when we first launch, and we're very selective about which stores we launch in, we learned a few lessons early on. We launch in stores that are near high traffic locations, near uh, you know commercial hubs, subway, uh, hospitals, uh, work buildings. Um, we want to make sure that they are already pretty good businesses and that they have a, a great running deli counter that does good business and they have regular customers and that they are high quality and right. professional Um because, you know, some obviously are better than others and we want to make sure we pick the best ones. In the stores that we run in, in some of our best stores, we make up on a daily basis at least 25% of their overall daily counter sales. Wow. And in some stores, that number goes in the, in the middle of the week, that number can go as high as 50%, where we're almost selling as much as the meat-based uh, items on the menu. And on the weekends, we find we actually sell more on the weekends because we've noticed this interesting phenomenon where people who've heard about us and our menu, because we do have a very unique menu um, that is, that captures sort of like the essence of what New York city deli food is, but ours is all plant-based. So some people travel into the city from, you know, New Jersey or Long Island, 
which is about, you know, depends on where you live, can be 30 minute or 40 minute or an hour drive just to taste our sandwiches because they've seen it on social media or on the news. Um, and so, you know, our stores, in fact, there's two, two data points. One is, of course, the stores are making money and we've created a business model that is not about disrupting small businesses. It's about empowering them. Like we work with the best plant-based brands because we give them a new channel of distribution. We give them a way to try, get people, a diverse set of new customers to try their products. But we also serve the stores who are independent local store owners who've managed to somehow survive in New York City, some of the, one of the most competitive markets in the country or possibly the world, but they continue to survive and thrive because they're just, you know, resilient business people. And we knew we would not succeed if we didn't create a business model that allows them to make money selling this food. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to, can it be profitable for them to sell plant-based food? And the answer is, and our proof is, it is because not only are the stores succeeding, they're referring us to other stores. Uh, and that's really the, right now we're expanding purely based on word of mouth. We've got some salespeople who will go out there and pitch stores, but the best stores we get are actually through referrals um, because it's all about building trust with these local store owners and empowering them to embrace foods of the future that no one else was giving to them before. And then of course, lastly, the most important thing is we are, uh, we're serving the communities. So we are in very diverse communities across the city. Uh, as you obviously know, New York City is a pretty uh, diverse place. And we, one of the, the whole idea behind this was, can we make it easier for everyone to access plant-based foods and try it? And we are finding like 95% of our customer base is not vegan or vegetarian. It's people, like you mentioned, walk into the store and they see, we, you know, we have a lot of signage outside. We, we do that intentionally. We have really attractive looking posters with our sandwiches on it. And when you walk into the store, our goal is to make sure you don't leave the store without seeing one of our signs. So we put menus in multiple locations. We're trying to grab people's attention. We have really attractive photographs of our menu items. And people walk in and then they look at what's on the regular menu and they see ours. And, you know, we're very transparent about what's in each menu item as well. So we label it all plant-based and we mention each brand that we work with. So, you know, you're getting nothing but high quality ingredients. Um, and we find most people are intrigued and people from all walks of life, many who've never tried something plant-based will look at our menu and choose something from there because it just looks delicious. And then when they try it, they believe it and they come back for more. Um, and then another thing we do is we also do sampling events outside these stores uh, every other week almost. Um, so we get people to try different sandwiches and that usually brings them back because sometimes people don't want to spend money, but if they're given the sample uh, and they, they, they taste a, a plant-based chicken quesadilla or a fried chicken sandwich or a cheeseburger that's made with plant-based meat and they realize how good it can be like your friend did. Uh, they're more inclined to come back and possibly buy it. So it's it's just, uh, it proves the point that the problems with the food system are off systemic and not about individuals. I think people, if right. given the opportunity, will make the right choice. You just have to make it convenient for them. That's amazing. I love that. So do, do you guys, does your menu, does every item taste exactly the same at each location? Great question. So we have someone on our team who trains every new store when we launch. So when we launch a new store, we set up the signage, we put up the menus, uh, we sell the products to them. And then someone on our team who's responsible for the culinary side of things trains the cooks at the location. And then what we do is we come back um, every week for the first few weeks to quality check the items. And then we continue to do sporadic quality checks because we want to make sure that there is, uh, firstly, that the, the, the cooks are using our ingredients and they aren't mixing because now plant-based foods have gotten so advanced that you can't even make out the difference when you look at them compared right. to the meat-based. Like the plant-based chicken looks exactly like chicken <laughs> and say so does the, the, the burgers, for example. So we, we do a lot of training in terms of not only which ingredients need to go in the sandwiches, but also where the products are stored so they don't make mistakes when orders are being placed. Uh, in terms of taste, we try to aim for consistency across the board. But here we've seen a unique phenomenon where each store, you know, the, 
I've got to give kudos to the cooks who work in these bodegas. They are talented and they are the fastest cooks you will find on planet Earth. Like these guys can whip up a sandwich in like a minute. <laughs> and so a lot of them add their own personal flair to it and do things with our sandwiches that we couldn't even have thought of. And they have right. techniques that they use that sometimes you'll find a certain sandwich in a certain store tastes a little different. It has the same ingredients. It literally follows the same recipe. But I, I, if I try to recreate it at home, it wouldn't taste the same. Right. So I think there's a you've got to you've got to tip your hat at sort of like the skills involved there too that sometimes result in subtle differences that maybe you know an everyday person who's never eaten the sandwiches will not recognize. But I definitely notice when I go from one store to the other. Right, that's amazing. What's your best selling item? So our best selling items we have like three items that are really top sellers on our menu, and they are not surprisingly fairly generally pretty popular in bodegas so we have the chopped cheese sandwich which if no one's heard of a chopped cheese sandwich let me explain it to you a chopped I, cheese is like no, i have no idea what you're talking about all right so like it sounds like it doesn't actually sound like what it is so a chopped cheese sandwich is new york city's answer to the philly cheesesteak sandwich and okay. it, the the legend has it that it was uh, actually invented in a bodega and it was invented in a bodega partly because uh, one of the bodegas, and I don't know how far the story is true, but this is the legend, that in, in a bodega in the Bronx, basically they had uh, burger patties that were start, starting to fall apart and they were not evenly formed. And so instead of letting them go to waste, uh, one of the cooks decided to mix up a few burger patties and chop them up and mix in peppers and onions and melt cheese over it like a Philly cheesesteak sandwich. And that then became the chopped cheese sandwich. So basically it's a chopped up burger patty mixed with right. peppers and onions and with some spice added on and cheese melted over it. And it can be eaten in a, in a roll or a, or a hero. Uh, and it's a very quintessentially New York sort of sandwich okay. that, was, that you mostly will find only in bodegas. And so our version of the chopped cheese obviously does all of the same things except uses a plant-based, a vegan cheese, a plant-based, we use Beyond Burger for our uh, chopped cheese sandwich. And in some, some locations we've had the staff taste it and they'll say that our chopped cheese actually tastes better than the real thing. Right, <laughs> and it right. has a lot more flavor. So the chopped cheese is really popular. Uh, sausage, egg and cheese is, super, is really popular in most of our locations. Uh, and then we have a sandwich that we created called, a, it's a burrito actually, it's called the Spicy Breakfast Burrito. It has chorizo and it has just egg, which is a plant-based egg, uh, avocados, cheese, spinach. So it's like a super packed breakfast burrito that if you eat, you're, gonna, you're, you're not going to be hungry for a while. Uh, that's really popular. And then we recently expanded and introduced a new menu in April uh, that has a lot of new chicken items. We partner with a few new chicken brands, plant-based chicken brands, obviously. Uh, and they are already you know, rising in popularity. So I'm, I'm excited to see the numbers in the next few months as this new menu rolls out everywhere. Right, that's exciting. So what's been one of the biggest challenges for you in that business right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the biggest challenge for us is we're doing something that's not a very typical business model. Like we are, you know, here's the unique part about Plant Taker. We're not a restaurant and we're not technically a food distributor, but we kind of do both things that restaurants and food distributors do. So we sit somewhere in the middle. Like we I, are, I, look, I look at it as a great model. You don't have that headache or that headache. You're the, you're like the middle. I, I like it. That's true. Our, and I love it too. We've attempted, we're not, in the, last year we got kind of tempted with like, you know, maybe we could, you know, launch a food truck and try to sell the food ourselves. And, and we did it for one day at a food festival. And I, I, and I say this openly, I'll never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much work that I was like, and there's so many complexities of running a kitchen and, you know, making sure you had all the right amount of food and you estimate how much was going to be sold and then managing a line of people that were ordering and managing orders. You know, I have a lot of respect for people who run restaurants because it is no easy feat, right? So we kind of sit, so we don't have the worst parts of running a restaurant. We don't operate a kitchen. You know, if, if I could have someone like, say, what do you want to plan takeout to be remembered as? And I want to, like, five years or 10 years down the line, it's, we want to be sort of a fast food chain that is, has popularized on the go, quick New York style deli sandwiches that originated in bodegas in New York City, which is where we've originated. 
and that have built a brand and a restaurant chain of sorts without owning and operating a single kitchen. Right. Uh, and so we sit in the middle, we, we curate the best products, we create recipes, we distribute the products into kitchens, and then we bring it to life with our marketing expertise. And so we do all the, in my opinion, the fun parts of uh, working in food without any of the really, you know, excruciatingly, I wouldn't say tough parts, but I guess if you have the skill for it, it could be, it could be great. I think our strengths are really in the distribution and the marketing and bringing it to life with creating menu items that people really will crave. Um, so those are, you know, that's what we do. What makes it difficult, of course, is that we are, we're trying to do something that hasn't been done before in locations that have previously never sold plant-based food. And I think as we expand, that's becoming easier uh, to convince new stores to bring us on board because we've got a proven track record now. But when you were initially launching, to convince a store to put an entirely new menu in their store and then have us put up signage and then have us train their cooks was kind of an alien concept to them. And they were like a little confused about what we were trying to explain to them. And they thought there was some sort of catch and we were trying to trick them into something. Uh, and so it took, I think, more time in the beginning. That was the big challenge to try to show them that we had actually created a business model that allowed them to make more money selling plant-based food off our menu than they would do selling food off their own meat-based menu. And they didn't believe it until they saw the performance and they saw the success. And now we can use that data to inform new stores as we, we launch and expand. The other thing that makes it difficult is it's all, you know, it's New York City. It's a very, you know, densely populated, crowded urban environment. And we now manage 18 stores and that's going to keep expanding. Logistically, it can be pretty complicated sometimes to handle what we do because we have a very small team and it's really a question of resources. Um, you know, we have to handle multiple deliveries on a single day. Plus, we have to make sure that the quality is consistent across the board, even though we're not in the locations 24-7. So we've got to create systems for that. And then, of course, we've got to make sure our brand um, shows up consistently across the board. Because when someone walks into a bodega, you know, any one of our locations, and orders something off the Plantega menu, that's a hit on our brand. Even though that bodega is making money selling that sandwich, people are ordering it because they've seen the Plantega menu. And so, you know, there's this... We've got the time and effort we put into protecting our brand to make sure that people have a good experience because when people get the wrong order or they don't like a sandwich or something was, they missed an ingredient, they forgot to put the cheese in the sandwich, they'll maybe complain to the bodega, but they'll come on our Instagram and, and tell people, right? Uh, so, yeah. you know, yeah. we've got that responsibility as well. And so really it's, it's, it's not the worst challenges, frankly. Uh, I, I've done much more complicated things in the past, but it's, constant problem solving, which in my opinion makes it exciting for me because I think, you know, it, it makes it dynamic. No two days are the same. Right. And there's, you know, if, if you, I, I'm someone who can get easily bored, there's no chance of that in this work because there's right. always something new to, to, to deal with, uh, good or bad, right? Right. That's amazing. So where do you see the future of you guys going? So you've got 18, you're expanding in New York, you know, let's say you end up with New York. Is there, I mean, is there bodegas in LA? You know, is there, is there, or is it, how are you going to expand the model, I guess? Yeah, great question. I mean, we, you know, we're already starting to, you know, one other thing that we do in bodegas, which I didn't mention is in addition to installing our menus and finding a, creating a business model for them to sell plant-based food, we now are starting to onboard um, the, those locations onto food delivery apps so people can, you know, they can also get supplemental revenue from delivery orders in addition right. to people walking into the stores. And so we're doing, we're starting to focus a lot more on technology enablement. And initially we're doing that in, uh, in partnership with existing food delivery apps where we're starting to look into, you know, what could it look like if we could create some, uh, you know, we could create our own technology that could uh, allow stores to quickly bring our menu uh, in an online version of our menu before they even launch it in the store, that could right. be a lot more quicker to scale. So that's one thing we're looking generally in New York City, and that's just going to improve distribution uh, of our products in new stores. Of course, our first, I would say this year, we're hyper-focused on New York City and probably into next year. Um, 
the bigger vision is, is you know, it's quite simple and it obviously could change because these are early days. But the way I look at it, our goal is to become synonymous with um, quick on the go New York City style deli sandwiches uh, that are 100 percent plant based. And I want, you know, I want New Yorkers across the city to be very familiar with Plantega, to have to come across one of our P signs outside of Bodega we become a recognizable brand. So we want to not only expand into stores and, and make sure uh, we've, we've uh, helped bring plant-based food into not only all the boroughs, but in multiple neighborhoods across the boroughs of New York City um, and build a brand in the process of doing it. You know, execute this uh, consistently, create a high quality experience and you know, bring more fun, exciting food and joy to New Yorkers across the city. That's our number one goal. We want to expand in New York. Where this takes us beyond New York, great question in terms of is there bodegas outside of New York? Is this model replicate? My, we've gotten some inquiries from other cities. Maybe there's some versions of bodegas in places like Philadelphia or Baltimore. I think the bigger expansion plan is actually a little different outside of New York City. I think once we've built enough of a brand um, and a reputation in New York, and we, we're going to be patient, we don't want to rush this, yeah. Uh, we see a potential for this concept, which we really, you know, the heart of what we're doing is we're putting a deli in store. It's like a plant-based deli in a store. Now imagine that we can say, take that same concept, put a plant-based deli in a grocery store, in a university campus, in right. an event venue. It, you know, the possibilities are endless. And most of this will possibly come through either a partnership with a large retail chain or perhaps a large food service provider where we might explore things like licensing our concept outside of New York City, right. where once we've become some, like, you know, New York City sliced pizza and bagels are yeah. so popular where people have taken that brand and put it elsewhere. Yeah. We want to be the New York City bodega style vegan sandwiches. And then we're going to build the brand and, and, and find ways to show up in a, in a different way in other cities. Um, and that's TBD at this point, how that will turn out to be. But Right. First and foremost, you've got to build a brand, build a reputation and make people really love your food. Yeah. If you don't do that, you know, the future really doesn't, it, you're thinking too far ahead too soon. It's true. I agree. I like that hundred percent. So last question, what do you, this has been awesome, by the way. Um, wh where do you think, what do you think, I want to just kind of jump totally. Where do you think some of the biggest trends are happening in the vegan space right now? Yeah, I think that's a super, really, really, Interesting question. And I think this answer will change like every few months because things are <laughs> happening so fast. You know, we've seen, you know, you said you've been vegan 20 years. I myself have been vegan 12 years now. Uh, so I'm relatively a newbie compared to you. Uh, you're, you're the original. Um, I've seen it go from like a few brands that were around for the last 30 years to now like an explosion of new businesses in the last five to six years. Um, I think that we are experiencing a huge boom right now in the plant-based food space. There's far too many companies. In fact, the reality is some of them won't survive. There's yeah. too many startups and there's a lot of money going around and it being invested in these companies. Um, and I think right now all the focus is on meat alternatives and replicating meat uh, using you know, whatever ingredients we can find. I think that's the first wave, which is we're just trying hard to replicate the taste, texture, and smell, and, and, and a feel of meat, um, where people are maybe putting toward, put, putting out products that uh, are marginally better, but still do not fulfill what the ultimate promise of plant-based food is, that it is significantly superior than eating meat. So I do think that the first wave is products that are proving that it can be done. And without them, we wouldn't have an industry. Right. I think that the second wave that's coming up is foods that are going to, you know, in some cases replicate meat and, and, and cheese and eggs, but from a nutritional standpoint is going to start to significantly outperform some of the early versions of these uh, alternatives. Right. So I think, you know, most people that what we've seen anecdotally, and I think a lot of the data also shows most people choose, most people choose plants because they or choose to eat plant-based because they're concerned about their health. Additional factors are the environment and animals, but 
for the most part, people are choosing it for their own health because if it wasn't good for their health, they probably wouldn't do it. And I think increasingly companies are working on new products that are going to deliver on that promise uh, in a really compelling way. So I think as the awareness of plant-based improves and increases, you're going to see a demand. It's my guess. I mean, I, I'm, I don't have a silver, I don't have a, a crystal ball. I don't know. I can't see the future. But my guess is that the products are going to get incrementally more nutritious, uh, more uh, based on whole plant ingredients without compromising on taste and any of those factors. That's the holy grail, really. Because today what we have is like, in the past you had mushy, uh, veggie burgers or black bean burgers yeah. that basically tasted of nothing. Yeah. And then you had the Beyond Burger, right? And the Beyond Burger is, you know, interestingly complex and tastes a lot like meat. Now you're going to find how can we create a Beyond Burger, but with real whole food ingredients, that's going to be the challenge. And some companies are working on some fascinating things. And then beyond the vegan or the plant-based space, there's this whole new world coming of cultivated meat or cell-based meat. Yeah. Um, and products using stem cells and products using uh, um, precision fermentation that are basically replicating animal proteins, like proteins like uh, whey protein, uh, replicating uh, even meat in certain cases by using some new novel technology. So I think, you know, we'll see where that goes. It's too early for me to speculate on that, but I think there's a whole new world coming. But at the same time, it's going to be hyper-competitive and not everyone's going to survive the good news for consumers is you know from a consumer standpoint you're going to have a lot of choices yeah and you're going to and and as demand increases and as more companies create better products you're going to be able to choose if you want the healthiest plant-based burger or the most decadent plant-based burger uh and that's a great thing because anything shifting people away from buying let's remember why we're doing all of this from buying the cheap industrial factory farm meat that's terrible for the environment yeah. Terrible for animals and terrible for your health is a good thing, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> Some of the recent companies that I just interviewed have been able to carve out a niche in their spaces just from doing things, like you said, like only having seven ingredients or the most mm -hmm. cleanest you can get. So, you know, yeah. you go on somebody else's stuff and you look at even in the vegan community, you know, you got 22, 30 things on there. Yeah. You might not even know what some of them are, even though it's vegan or plant based. You go yeah. over here and the person's got seven, you kind of know, well, it's probably a little more cleaner, right? <laughs> you know, you exactly. So yeah, they've been able to carve out. So I bet that been used. I'm glad you said that because I've been watching that, you know, these smaller companies that are not known that are becoming known because they're carving out these little niches in that space right now. hundred percent. And I think, you know, it's exciting. That's the beauty of like um, entrepreneurship and creating things and building things. You know, you need someone like Beyond Meat to like a breakthrough and, and, and kind of show the potential in the market. And then that opens the doors to so many new ideas and technology and more funding that it almost creates this race to, to create better and better technology, hopefully, that will do better things to our food system and not make it worse. I think in the past, we've never thought about the consequences of new technologies. And I think I, my hope is that on this go around, as we try to craft a create a better food system we will be more mindful of what the downstream impacts will be of some of these products scaling and hopefully finding ways to feed the world in a more sustainable way right that's amazing last question do you think that there's enough consumers now to be like where we'll start to see like for example you see you know a couple of the, the fast food franchises now starting to come on you know that have got 20 locations going to 40 locations yeah. You know, competing with the McDonald's and stuff like that. You think we're going to see stuff like just vegan hair salons, just vegan this, just vegan this. Do you think there's enough demand that we're going to see that over the next 10 years? I think on the food side, yes. I'm not so sure about the other uh, types of businesses. On the food side, we're already seeing it. There are a number of uh, all plant-based fast food chains Veggie Grill is a, one that's been around for a long time. There's yeah. several new ones uh, that have launched in the last few years. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be, and I think the sign that there's so many new businesses is that something's actually working in this space. So it's a good sign. Um, it's to be seen how all of this is going to play out because even the, you know, the gigantic fast food chains like McDonald's and, 
and um, KFC and Burger King are all looking, some of them have plant-based options already, but are looking to expand their menus. I think it's, it's, uh, it really depends on consumer demand and adoption. Uh, it, you know, the short answer is it's a little early, like right now, plant-based meat, and this may sound, sound shocking because I've been sounding so positive throughout this whole conversation, but plant-based meat makes up about 1.4% of meat sales at the moment, 1.4%. That's a rounding error for the meat industry. That's right. like, it's probably worth like 1.4 billion compared to like the trillions the meat yeah. industry is worth. So we have a long, long, long way to go which you can look at it one way of being like, we've got an uphill battle, but the other way is that there's so much room for growth um, that even if you get to about 10%, that's going to be huge. So I think the next 10, 15 years are going to be really interesting. Um, I think you will not hear less about plant-based. You're only going to see more and there's going to be even more opportunities. It's what I think the challenge is going to be is how can you create differentiate differentiated business models? Like, there's too many companies trying to do the same thing. Um, and even in the case of like, say, uh, food, food rest, uh, restaurants or fast food chains, everyone's sort of doing burgers and the same thing. Yeah. I think we're going to need some more variety. We're going to need some more, more, more creative thinking there. Um, otherwise, you're, you're kind of going to, you're going to have a few winners and the rest of them are going to be just average. That's the challenge. Yeah, that makes sense. Awesome. Well, this has been Great interview. Thank you for sharing so much great information. Where can they all find you at social media websites and you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, if you want to check out more about Plantega, go to eatplantega.com. You can also find us on Instagram at eatplantega. Um, we are also on Twitter and everywhere else. If you want to learn more about some of the other work I do besides Plantega, I also host a podcast called the Eat for the Planet podcast. You can learn more at eftp.co where I talk to a lot of food entrepreneurs. In fact, I've been doing that for five years. Um, and I've got links to my books. I've published a few books called Eat for the Planet. Um, but yeah, just follow along Plantega. Start there. And uh, if you're in New York City, uh, send me a DM or an email or, or a tweet. And I'm, I would be happy to take you to one of our locations and, and have you taste a chopped cheese sandwich. And that firstly starts with you, Shane, when you're in New York next. Let's do that. Yeah, I will be 100%. I'll be hitting you up. I'm actually going to start doing a show pretty soon where I go out and I test taste other uh, things in the vegan community and I'm going to start rating them. Oh, that's amazing. So, yeah, yeah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) The pressure is on. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. (laughs) Everybody will be like, well, you already interviewed me. You're biased. I'm like, no, no, no. This is the real deal here. No, we love it. We need that. That's that's great. You need that because there's so much choice. You've got to find what's the good stuff. (laughs) 100%. 100%. Awesome. So you guys make sure you guys go check him out. Look by his books. Look at his stuff. And if you're in New York, hit him up and go try one of the how do you say the bodegas is that the how you bodegas yeah. Bodegas, yeah yeah, yeah. if you yeah Whatever. if you speak spanish you'll say bodega but uh I, I try not to put on that accent <laughs> unnecessarily um yeah so it's just check them out it's a corner store you'll find us look at our website we have a location a list of our locations there with a map so depending on where you are in the city you can find one near you hopefully um but but experience some of New York City culture that's uh, getting a bit of a you know facelift thanks to us and the work we're doing. Awesome. Well, I look forward to coming to New York next time, and we'll be uh, going out and hitting some of your stores together then. Awesome. Well, awesome. thanks so much for this. This has been fun. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. Talk soon.